Podcasting from Astrolab Studios, this is Continuum Drag, a weekly podcast where we revisit sci-fi, fantasy, and just plain weird shows that have faded from the collective consciousness and didn't quite make the impact that they intended. This week, Harsh Realm, episodes seven and eight. God does not reserve his gifts for any one soul. Florence's miraculous ability to heal was shared by others, women who, unlike her, lived in isolation. Women whom Florence, sensing danger, had gone to find. For here, just as in the real world, the darkness preys on the light, on the innocent, the holy. So Florence ran, praying she was not too late. Welcome to Continuum Drag, the podcast that is recording in Harsh Realm this week. Uh, Jordan, what have you been up to in Harsh Realm? Well, I'm not in the nice part of Harsh Realm, so it's mostly been uh, making jokes about eating dogs and uh, looking for gasoline. What about yourself? You're in San Diego City, aren't you? Yeah, I started a bakery and a family. <laughs> it's real nice. Oh, that's nice. Yeah, things things yeah. Are, things would be going a lot different for you. Man, this is the better part of Harsh Realm, let me tell you. Um, I'm Luke. That's my co-host, Jordan, on the other side. Um if you're hearing some slight difference in our audio this week, it is because uh, Jordan's out of the city, so we're recording remotely, hence being in Harsh Realm, and uh, I think this should turn out just fine, though. If not, uh, you can email us and tell us how much you hate us. Now, we're nearly finished watching Harsh Realm, Jordan, so uh, I wanted to do something kind of now that we're getting close to the end here. I'm going to hit the reboot button on the old Continuum Drag console here, and we're going to reboot harsh realm as a blockbuster feature film i'm excited you know what the last one we did when we did tech war it really turned out to be a real blockbuster and i think i think everyone loved it so i'm hoping we uh get similar results from the most bizarre cast ever yeah i mean this will be interesting i had a lot of trouble with this casting actually uh, so did i it's tough to put people into these very like cardboard cutout roles yeah well i mean the good thing is it can really go any way because the characters are nothing right so Sky's the limit, exactly. Yeah. All right, let's start with Tom Hobbs, our uh, our hero, question mark? Yeah, I thought of two actors for this. The first person I thought, he's kind of a uh, somewhat meek kind of blonde guy who maybe would, you know, find his way as the series went on. And that's, I'm going to pronounce this probably wrong, but it's uh, Domino Gleason. Oh, yeah, yeah. I thought he might be okay for the role. And then a secondary, and you'll see what you think. Uh, my second pick is kind of taking a different direction, would be Michael B. Jordan. Oh, interesting. I mean, I see where you're going for. I also want to think of it. I'm just kind of like, who is kind of a generically handsome every boy? Yeah, exactly. Um, so I went with uh, Joseph Gordon-Levitt. Okay. Who's, I think, a great actor. I quite like him. But I, f- I feel like if you need a guy who doesn't understand what's happening somewhere, he could do a good job with that. Yeah, fair enough. And then I went with Aaron Tyler Johnson. Oh, wow. I, I know who that is. That's that's a different pick. I wouldn't have thought of that. I mean, if you don't know who that is, because I wouldn't know his name off the top of my head, it's um, Kick-Ass from the Kick-Ass movies. But the reason I thought of him for this is, have you seen the Godzilla reboot? No, I have not. He basically plays a generic soldier in that movie to the point where I watched the entire film and I didn't know it was the same actor from the Kick-Ass movies. He's just like a shaved head generic soldier. So I, I know he can do the part. Right, right. It's a thankless role, and uh, really anyone can do it. 
out of those, are we are we picking someone that we think uh, is going to be the lead for our movie that people are going to, you know, like first on the poster, people are going to flock to see? Yeah, I don't know. Who do you think? Who do you like best? I kind of like Michael B. Jordan. You know what? I, I like it too. That's a, it's probably the best piece of casting. All right. It's only going to go downhill from here then. Great. All right. Michael Pinocchio, the sidekick. I didn't realize that Pinocchio's first name was Michael. <laughs> I'm, I'm eight, eight. What did we eight episodes in? Did they ever say Michael? No, I don't think they ever refer to him as Mike or Michael, but I, I had to look into it. I had to look it up to be sure. Okay. Michael Pinocchio. Well, I have two, again, odd choices. My first choice is to really punch up the sort of humor in the character. And my pick is John C. Riley. Oh, good pick. Why don't I go next? Because I actually could only think of one actor for the role. Okay. And I was thinking of him, of him in more in that like gruff couldn't couldn't care less about what's going on sort of idea so mm-hmm. uh, i went with ice cube oh I, I i like that that's pretty good who do you want to go with for the for the role i don't know up to you of those i actually think ice cubes i like ice cube for okay i like the idea of michael b jordan and ice cube uh, in harsh realm that sounds good to me who's who's next on our list uh general omar santiago we got to recast the villain both my picks i did not pick people who makes sense for someone under the name Santiago because I figured that's the character is apparently it's you know it could be anyone except for someone who's probably from South America so uh my first pick was Chris Cooper okay character actor a little bit grizzled you can kind of see him in charge being a little bit ruthless having some speech and he kind of veins are popping out of his head yeah very much a military man I can see it yeah um I actually went with the idea that his name was Santiago and I uh, my first pick was Antonio Banderas Oh, I actually really like that. That's way better than anything I picked. I've I've uh, w- sort of recently become a real Antonio Banderas fan. <laughs> I just well, I think he, you come I think around he, late to it. Yeah, yeah. I think he's aging really well. I think he's he's aged into a point where I used to think he was a pretty weak actor, and now I think he's found like a nice rhythm for himself. I think he's a good actor. He'd be great for this role. Yeah, you know what? I, I'll just say real quick, my second pick was Robert Patrick, and it was at least partly because of Chris Carter, but I don't think we're going to get any better than Antonio Banderas. It's got to be Antonio. Fair enough. I, I think it is Antonio. My my second pick was Samuel L. Jackson, but just because I feel like that's the role that everyone would put Samuel Jackson in. Right, <laughs> right. So I think we're agreed. Let's go with Antonio Banderas for this. Nice. Next up, Florence, the mute healer. I only have one person for this, but I have a real reasoning for it. It's Canada's own darling, Tatiana Maslany. The reason I chose her is just coming off a show where she had to play five people with all different personalities, I thought, you know what she could probably do? A character who doesn't talk at all and give it real something, you know? Give her a break. Just like, take it real easy. Yeah, and she, it's just a lot of eye acting, you know, like like silent movie sort of big old big eyes. Well, that's, a, that's not a bad piece of casting. I only could think of one person for the role either because it... There's not a lot to go on with it, but I, I decided to go with Tilda Swinton. Oh, wow. That's really different. I mean, I feel like if you wanted an otherworldly character, she's uh, she's got that in spades. I almost have to say I think I agree with Tilda Swinton only because I want her in every movie. I think you can't not cast her. Like, if she came into our, like, you know, the agent said, we we might get her. I said, well, that's it. That's who we have to have. Okay, let's do it. I mean, she'd be good at eye acting, too. Yeah, yeah, that's true. What about Sophie? The, uh thankless wife role what would you call that role i was gonna say it's it's about as thankless a role as you could have so i thought of someone who i think is the best of the business at just staring and having one tear roll down her cheek which is i think pretty much all you need for sophie and that's carrie mulligan and i don't think you can beat like every role it's just it's like they cast her like who do we have who can just stand and look pretty and cry 
a little bit, and it's that's who it's got to be. Well, yours is probably more age appropriate than mine. Um, but I went with uh, Ellen Pompeo. Do you know who that is? Do you watch Grey's Anatomy? I know who the name is. Well, I know you really love Grey's Anatomy. I I do watch a lot of it, which is weird. I mean, that's a separate that's a separate uh, uh, podcast altogether. Is your recaps of Grey's Anatomy? All forty five seasons. I can be a well rounded individual who watches many programs. That's true. That's true. Uh, since you don't watch it, I'll kind of give you my reasoning. Is I feel like that show, she is just constantly playing the most unlikable character who just gets her way all the time. Right. And I feel like that would be very useful here with her trying to like barge into military offices. She'd just have a little more gravitas when she was demanding to know what happened to her husband. I'm fine either way. I, I, w- I wouldn't fight over it. So I'll give you the final pick on Sophie. Mm, I think you're right. I think yours is more age appropriate and probably better for a blockbuster. I mean, I, uh, Alan Pompeo is probably not packing the seats in. All right. Waters, Hobbs's former friend turned enemy. I'm curious as to what you're going to pick, but I, I went in, again, a bit different direction. I thought really play up the sort of weaseliness and what would you say? Like the guy kind of playing both. You find him weaselly? I think he is weaselly, but they're not playing it up enough in the show. And I want to really play it up with my two picks. Okay, go for it. So my first one is Giovanni Rabisi. Oh, that's a good pick. Yeah, I just thought it cha- look, it changes the character. He's less of a like tough military guy, and he's more of, as I said, a sort of uh, conniving kind of guy. And my second pick is Ben Foster. Same sort of idea. Oh, yeah. He's not so weaselly, though, is he? He seems to like to play characters that you're really going to dislike for one reason or another. Okay. <laughs> and I dislike Waters. I went the other way. I went with a character actor character actor that's a bit of a stretch but someone who's gonna play a tough in military okay who's that vin diesel oh barf i think you're right though i i think giovanni rabisi is the right choice okay cool uh, yeah i think that's a great choice that was a good call joe thanks next up mystery government woman inga fossa i only have one pick for this so do you want to hear it yeah i have two picks i'll let you do yours first but let me just say before you give it one of my picks you might agree with one is so out there that your socks may literally pop off. That's all I'm going to say. So you give me your pick. All right. I will take my socks off now so they don't fly across the room. Yeah, because they will. They'll, they'll physically pop. Um, my pick, I went with Gal Gadot. Oh, okay. Yeah, Wonder Woman. Yeah, but only mostly because I like find her uh, accent very mysterious. So I thought it would work well for the, uh, for the role of a mystery uh, government woman. But that's about my only reasoning. That's a pretty good pick. I went in a slightly different direction. My first pick was Sarah Paulson. Oh, yeah. But are you re- are you ready for my wild card? Yeah, yeah. Hit me with it. Okay. It's going to take the character in a different direction, but I think it might add a little something to the show or movie. Okay. Whoopi Goldberg. <laughs> <laughs> um, Would it be different? That's interesting. I don't hate that. I don't hate that at all. Hmm. I don't think Whoopi should be in it. I mean, does she even make movies anymore? It's it's a bit of a stretch. I think you're right. I'm, I I don't think I'm gonna I'm gonna put my vote with uh, with her. Okay. And Sarah Paulson's not bad. Like she's a great actress. But I I, I think Gal Gadot's really gonna like put this movie into the hundred billion dollar range. Wow, like, hundred billion dollars. What we're we're yeah, yeah. Oh, it's it, this is gonna be big in China. Right. <laughs> yeah. Right. Who's directing this masterpiece that we've uh, we've just cast? Oh, I actually am pretty happy with my two director choices. I think both of them would bring very clear visions to what this would be. Okay. It's either Zack Snyder. Okay, yeah, okay. That's that's something. I mean, you can see that, right? Like, I can see A it. lot of 
weird shots in slow motion, but it worked well for this like idea that they live in a computer. Yeah. Who's your second pick? James Gunn. Oh, and very timely too, seeing as he just got fired off of uh, every movie ever. It's true. He needs the work, yeah. first of all. But also, I kind of feel like he'd put a lot of memes in it. It'd be a lot of internet humor. Mm. Like, I think he'd put a lot of emojis on everyone's faces. He'd have a great time. <laughs> I only have one pick for this, and it's George Miller. Oh, interesting. <laughs> yeah. Like, this is the mad, oh, you really leaning into the Mad Max elements of it. Yeah. I think he would do well in terms of, like, really creating this wasteland that um, perhaps Vancouver never quite uh, evoked. So, what you were missing from this reboot is you wanted a grimmer harsh row. Well, I'd like to at least be able to see things. <laughs> I my my main complaint of oh, well, I have many complaints of harsh row, but one of the many was is it's just so dark. I I I can't tell what's happening. I think that is your main complaint. Is it my main complaint? My, no, I think my main complaint is how stupid and useless Hobbs is, and then my secondary complaint is how dark it is. And then my third complaint is how much time we've spent on this show. <laughs> it's almost over now. Yeah, I know. It really is. I'm I'm I, I'm getting that feeling. That feeling we have at the end of shows where it's like it's, you know, down the stretch. We're almost there. You just get all jazzed I'm up. I'm all jazzed up, yeah. It is true. When we start a show, you hate it and you just want to quit. And when you get to the end, you couldn't be happier. I know. I feel bad. I think the, as we say, ennui that I uh, uh, that pours out of me when we start these shows. I mean, I think every time off the air, I tell you, like, I don't think I'm going to make it through. I think this was a mistake. And then by the end, I'm like, yeah, that was fine. Yeah, it worked out. It worked out. <laughs> yeah. All right. Who's directing now? Who do you like? Oh, I think Zack Snyder was the pick. I, I agree. A lot of slow-mo shots for no reason. Lots of green screen. I don't know what else. I don't know what else stuff he does, but Zack Snyder stuff. Yeah, whatever Zack Snyder does. Yeah. So do you want to do a quick rundown of who we picked? Sure. Uh, I think I have them all here. The cast is Tom Hobbs is Michael B. Jordan. Yeah. Pinocchio is Ice Cube. Right. That's funny. General Omar Santiago is Antonio Banderas. Oh, yeah. I love that. That's my favorite casting. Florence is Tilda Swinton. Still amazing. Sophie is... Carrie Mulligan. Carrie Mulligan, thank you. I almost said Michelle Mulligan. She's looking out right. a window with one tear rolling down her cheek. Great. Waters. Was it Giovanni Ribisi? It was Giovanni Ribisi. Ah, I couldn't remember. Inga Fossa is Gal Gadot. Yeah. Directed by Zack Snyder. This is this is it. This is a great movie. Yeah. The poster looks amazing. Yeah. And I'm assuming that this one will have a lot of zip files. A lot of little Mexican wrestler luchadors oh, running around. Put zip files everywhere. All I'd request in the movie is this. There's a dance sequence slash musical number at one point where all the zip files kind of go a la it's you think think labyrinth with that David Bowie song with the baby. That's basically what happens about halfway through the movie. And then the other thing that happens is someone gets put on pause and we get to watch them get picked up and put into the back of the truck and they're still on pause. That's the only two things oh, I nice. request. That's those, those are those are good requests. Thanks. I like it. All right. Do you want to you want to get into this week's episodes? Yeah, let's do it. 107 and 108. Episode seven. Manus Domini. Hobbs finds himself trapped in a minefield with one of Santiago's soldiers. Pinocchio grapples with the prospect of living with a handicap for the rest of his life. Florence is taken prisoner. Maybe I should mention this at the end, but I'll just, I guess, tease it. I think this episode had two really interesting plots that neither one were realized very well. And, and then maybe I'll explain at the end what I thought this, what these episodes could have actually been. Sure, yeah. Well, I'll sort of start us off because I think what you're saying is it does split into sort of three separate plots, but I'll kind of get us to the split point and we can kind of break off into three individual ones. Okay. We kind of open our cold open is kind of post episode. And as usual, Hobbes is writing a letter to Sophie, giving us a little bit of like voiceover about how he's feeling about what's happened this episode. And they really come in pretty heavy off the start here. 
I believe in this, he was talking about how in a harsh realm, there is a God just like there is in the real world. They lay into the religiousness of this episode very early on, very quickly. Yeah, you're right. This episode, it's actually noticeable because there's not really, I mean, maybe there's been a hint of it before, but they really push it like that there is an idea of, I'm, and maybe I'm, I'm giving too much to the show, but that this program, this video game has taken on a life of its own and things have adapted and evolved. And in that adaption is there is a higher power. Now, there's been no real, up to this point, and I believe in this episode, there's nothing really that shows that, but it is a weird thing that they push real hard. It almost feels like a very Catholic episode without any Catholicism. It's true. I mean, I was trying to think about it, and I, I think X-Files had a little bit of this, and Millennium definitely did, but in a kind of a more of a Book of Revelations way. But this felt like the most Chris Carter thing where it was quite clear his sort of Catholicism was leaning very heavy into the core mythology of it suddenly. Yeah. And also, I don't know why, but I guess there's no electricity outside of San Diego City, but they keep cutting back to Hobbes this whole episode where he's writing by candlelight. And there's just something funny about that. He he was writing by candlelight. Uh, So the episode starts off properly with Hobbes and Pinocchio chasing Florence through this like cornfield. And we kind of actually get a little more backstory of Florence in this episode. Um, like they say they're chasing her because they introduced she has a new ability. Did you catch what ability she has? It was a new ability? Well, she has the ability to sense danger. Oh, yeah, that's right. And it's funny because um, her ability to sense danger, I think almost immediately she like, gets like kidnapped. And it's like, where was her sense of danger? It's not effective at all. It's true. But it's her spidey um, sense. And what the danger she's uh, sensing is that her people are in trouble. Yeah. So we start realizing she actually has a... Uh, people she's from they started kind of doing a little bit of world building here that she's uh, a member of a group called the sisters right am i jumping too far ahead yeah no no that's right Uh, the sisterhood it's a bunch of women who they're really clearly shown to be like nuns is what they're showing and she's sort of for whatever reason unknown ostracized from them but has the same ability which is what they all have which is ability to heal and they're all mute oh and they're all mute that's right yeah none of them talk They seem to have a religious text they look at. That's actually where the episode's title comes from. Uh, It's in the book Manus Domini, which I guess means Hand of God. That's their healing power. And they do get a little bit into why she left. I guess their modus operandi, I don't know how to put it. They don't interfere. They just heal. And whereas Florence has left them because she feels like she needs to intervene to help people, not just like heal them after the damage has happened. Right. I, I actually didn't even catch that. So good on you. And the other piece of a little bit of world building around them is they introduce the idea that when Florence heals someone, it makes her weaker. It like temporarily saps some of her life force. Right. So this is kind of like builds a little bit of Florence out. I actually thought this was going to be like a Florence only episode. It doesn't end up being that way. I but thought like that way too. Sort of... I was excited. I actually wrote my first note was, wow, a Florence episode. But no. I was let down that way too. But I mean, we do get a little bit of background on her. So it's a bit better than usual. Two episodes from the end. She runs off through this field, and as Hobbes and Pinocchio are chasing her, Pinocchio steps on a landmine, Um, and then Hobbes is like, don't worry, let me disarm that for you. Yeah, now let me ask you, if there's one person that you'd want to disarm, uh, you know, sorry, the one person you wouldn't want to disarm a landmine, it'd be Hobbes. Well, he immediately sets off the landmine, blowing them both up. Of course he does. I'm surprised he didn't try to just, like, stick his tongue on it. (laughs) He's stupid. I mean, this certainly lends credence. It, he, like, it goes so badly so quickly, and he's so confident when he starts. 
but you could actually make a montage of all the dumb things he's said and done over the course of the show. And if you just didn't fast forward to the music of Benny Hill, it would be pretty funny. Um, I'm going to now kind of split off because this is kind of a good part for us to split into the three different characters' stories because they don't really coalesce again until the very end. So I'm going to kind of go through each particular character's story for the episode. So it'll be a little out of order, but I think it's the easiest way to get at this. So I'm going to start with Pinocchio because after the landmine goes off, the sisterhood finds him in the field and like drags him back to their farm because his leg has been blown off in the mine explosion. (laughs) I actually was pretty surprised. I thought they were going to do a thing where he pulls him off and neither one's hurt. But, you know, kudos to the show. They actually blew uh, Pinocchio's leg off. Yeah, we get a good shot of his, like, severed leg while he's back at their farm. They've healed him, but they can't bring his leg back. So he's just sort of there without a leg. And his character basically he kind of fluctuates between three things through the course of the entire episode. Extreme self-pity. Just railing against God for his injustices. Yeah. Uh, and then there's a nice moment where he has a really, really ugly cry. Yeah, <laughs> the cry is funny. I, I debated making a gif out of that, but uh, yeah, I'll give him one thing. He does sort of self-pity himself the whole episode. However, it, he went into Harsh Realm because he's like missing legs and he's disfigured in uh, in the real world. And now he's gone to Harsh Realm and the exact same things happened to him. So, I mean, you get that. That pretty sucks. He's had the same thing happen to him twice. I mean, that's the big, that's the reveal. We knew he was like burnt up in the real world, but he actually talks about how in the real world, a similar explosion happened and he is actually also crippled in the real world. And what I'll say is maybe he should be more careful about landmines. That's true. So yeah, so he volunteered to come to Harsh Realm so he would be able to get his like fully functioning body back. And that's what he's yelling at God about is he, he feels like this is God's punishment for trying to cheat God out of like crippling him. Well, you know what he should do? is he should see if this is the exact same world and it's all being scanned as they said what he should do is he should go back to the warehouse where his body is laying in the real world and he should get into the game and go into the harsh realm within harsh realm and then try to have a new body again because i'm assuming they also have a video game right oh yeah they must have in harsh realm they've built up like a harsh realm yeah exactly oh well, that's interesting Actually, bring up a good point about them scanning his body into this. Didn't the last episode say any of your ailments that were scanned in? Yeah, I thought the exact same thing. Well, what this is, it's a clear case of two different writers, and they, they're they both writing the script at the same time. They're not paying attention to yeah. what happened previously. They're, they're setting rules for a world that the other one doesn't know about. Exactly, yeah. But yes, you're right. He should be in this, ro- in this world wheeling around, you know? So the sisterhood is taking care of him, uh, more or less. Uh, it was really just one sister seemed to take care of him. And they kind of do this really awkward like thing, like maybe she's falling in love with him. But they just write female characters so badly. It never really makes sense. It's a lot of like eyes at each other. And you could see it right away. It's like, well, she's kind of young and cute. So she must love him because he doesn't have a shirt on. <laughs> yeah, exactly. And after, you know, he's been there, she gives him a crutch, like trying to in- encourage him to start walking around. And there's a, there's a scene where he's like, walking around with his crutch trying to find his stuff and i'm like oh he's just gonna get out of there now but he just like finds his gun and he gets really angry because there's no bullets in it because he had just got up to go kill it he was just trying to find his gun to commit suicide yeah when that doesn't work i assume they were going to move on from that like idea that he wants to kill himself but when that doesn't work he then walks on his crutches like hobbles back to the minefield to continue to try to commit suicide on another mine was that what he was doing yeah, he he's back there. I think he kind of says it as he's looking for a mine because he's if he if they've hidden his bullets, he's just going to go try to blow himself up again. Right. But it doesn't happen. He doesn't blow himself up. Yeah, it's a very self-pitying episode for him. But when he gets back to that 
field, he sees Santiago's army driving around and he kind of has a change of heart. He he wants to go back and defend the sisterhood. Right. Which is, I guess, kind of his arc for the episode is he he is mostly just self-pitying the whole time. And at no point does he seem to get over it. He just at some point decides he needs to go defend the sisterhood when he sees that Santiago. Yeah, there's no real there's no real motivating factors why he does that. It's just like, eh, he just does. That kind of I'm I'm gonna move on because that kind of catches him up to like the end of the story. Basically, that's all he does all episode is complain, try to kill himself, and that's pretty much it. That's it. That was his. Was this one of the storylines you like? Well, no. It's uh, I, I, well, I can explain here. Here's what I think the storyline should have been. Which is, it should basically be a, a real version of uh, High Plains Drifter. You ever see that movie? 1970-something. No, I haven't. Clint Eastwood movie. And the basic plot is, guy comes to town, he finds that the town's in bad shape, and why it's in bad shape is, these other guys, sort of like outlaws, are coming and constantly torturing the town, you know, stealing and blah, blah, blah. He teaches them how to fight back, and that's the big uh, climax of the movie, is the town fights back. You know, this one guy shows them how, to, how they should have a backbone. And I thought that's what this episode was going to be. Like, he basically convinced them that it's time for them to not just be so passive and they need to stand for, you know, stand for what they believe. It could have been that. You're right. There's a few scenes where that could have happened. But yeah, it didn't go that way. Anyways, High Plains Drifter. Uh, check it out. Good, uh, good recommendation. Yeah, if it's 1973, go see it in the theaters. All right. I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to run us through Hobbes' story now um, because I think that's like kind of the second story that makes the most sense to get into. Mm-hmm. He also wakes up in the field after the explosion, and the sisterhood has healed him, but they've just left him in the field. I guess that's what's happened. Or or he actually didn't get injured. I thought that's what I thought. He wasn't injured at oh, all. Oh, I think they actually show them healing him. Oh really? Yeah. Oh, that is weird then. They took Pinocchio, left him. It doesn't really matter. I guess they just needed this so something could happen to Hobbes this episode. Right. And when he's in the field, uh, a soldier who's scouting ahead for the military kind of spots him in the field, uh, Sergeant Escalante. Yeah, I liked him. Do you know, did you recognize the actor? Yeah, is he in Breaking Bad? Yeah, he as Raymond Cruz. He plays Tuco in Breaking Bad. That's what I thought he was from, but I couldn't quite remember. He's a really good actor, so I, I was excited that he was in this episode. I'm like, this is great. And spoiler, he's in the next one, too. Yeah, I know, a repeating character. Yeah, well, we have to make sure that... Uh... Uh, Florence doesn't get much to do, so you have to keep adding characters. That's that's true. You wouldn't want her to have a uh, stuff going on in her she life. At, she at least has a third of an episode on this one, right? So that's that's more than she deserves. That's her whole season. That's her whole season, right there. Um, yeah. So uh, Sergeant Escalante spots him in the field and kind of chases him out there, which is very funny. That Hobbs runs back into the minefield. Yeah. But they essentially end up in the exact same situation. They're both end up on the same mine, just like what happened with Pinocchio, like, 10 minutes ago? Yeah. Less than that? Yeah. He basically, that's how dumb Hobbs is. He just got he just got blown up by a mine, and what does he do? He goes on top of another mine. That's just classic Hobbs. He's so far <laughs> the dumbest character I think we've seen in any TV show. <laughs> Certainly any of the ones we've watched so Yeah, that's far. true. So, yeah, they're back on top of a mine, except this time... Hobbes is like, I guess, in the theme of this episode, he gets really, really preachy to this soldier. And he starts telling him he's going to save them from this mine to teach him about how there's a higher power and harsh realm. Yeah, this is the thing. I For some reason in this episode, Hobbes is really, really pushing it. And you would think that in the previous episode, something had happened that had given him this um, awakening. Religious conversion. fanaticism? Yeah, but it's not like something had happened and he almost died and he saw an image or, or something. It's just this episode, he just feels this way. And it's kind of gone by the next episode. So it's just a weird character trait that is not 
it's not set up in any way and it's it's never ending in this episode he just goes on and on he's like he's like a missionary and he's just you're stuck with him and he just that's all he's like he's like hey did you hear the good news you're like oh okay yes i did hear the good news it's true it's very much like that he just there's no reason for him to stop talking about it he just can't stop talking about it yeah well that's what it is he's just he just keeps going on about but here was here was the uh other plot i thought also could have been a pretty cool thing that they kind of quash right, right away, which is the idea that two guys, it's sort of a bottle episode. Two guys are stuck together. And in this case, they're stuck in one spot on a bomb and neither one can move. This was a cool thing. You could have learned a little bit about Hobbs. You could have learned a little bit about the other guy and their different ways of doing things and their different ways of looking at stuff. And then, you know, obviously uh, their differences, they realize that together they can solve this problem. Well, that's this is just that movie uh, Enemy Mine. Oh, I don't know that one. What's that? It's a it's a sci-fi movie where like two like a human is battling an alien race. They crash on a planet together and they have to like learn to work together to survive. Like right, it's classic. A classic sci-fi premise. I was just gonna say, yeah. Um, but yeah, that that could have been this. That's really not what happens. I mean, this time Hobbs actually manages to defuse the mine, so they get off. Second of it time's alive. a term for him. Yeah, he he gets sorted out. He just needs some practice. After he defuses the mine, he kind of uh, walks Escalante back to his Jeep and holds him at gunpoint, kind of like disables his Jeep so that Escalante can't go get help for himself. And, and, and then, he didn't mention, the whole time he's doing it, he basically keeps going like, I know I'm going to be able to defuse the bomb because I have faith, and you don't have faith, you should have faith. And it was just like, okay, okay, move on. And then, of course, to justify his obnoxiousness, he does defuse the bomb. And he's like, see, told you. Yeah, it's true. I mean, you should just assume that Hobbes is spouting off about how there's a higher power if he's talking in this episode at all. And again, there's been no indication that that's the case, and there's been nothing done or that happens that would give the viewer any indication that this is true, other than he just keeps saying it. Yeah. So anyway, he kind of abandons Escalante at his broken vehicle and runs off to find either Pinocchio or Florence or whomever. It's not clear where he's going. But that brings us basically back around to the final plot in this episode for Florence after she kind of left the minefield and like went running off she kind of finds an old farmhouse where I guess she thinks maybe the sisterhood is yeah that pe- people keep showing up at the barn yeah um but what she does find there is this really like nebbish looking suspicious guy <laughs> yeah yeah and he's like oh are you a healer can you help my son and he like shows her to his wife who's holding her son and his her son's like acting sick and while she's looking at him, he just hits her in the head with a two by four. Yeah. He hits Florence in the head. And what I like, by the way, two things. One, she didn't sense the danger at all. So good power. And secondly, this seems like a really stupid plan. But this guy does it twice and it works like twice. <laughs> yeah, it, he keeps going back to this plan. It's his it's his go to. <laughs> Having knocked her out, we're introduced to, I think, it must be the third bounty hunter we've seen on this show. Yeah, there's a, like, there's a lot of bounty hunters. Yeah, they're all over Ashrael. Is this the bounty hunter that uh, is wearing a cloak? No, no, that's not a bounty hunter. Oh, who is that guy? I was about to ask you the same question. But yeah, this bounty hunter wants to find the whole sisterhood and kill them to appease Santiago or something. Like, all these bounty hunters have no idea what they're up to. It's just something to do in, in uh, I was going to say Riverworld. It's just something to do in Harsh Realm. Just got to kill that time. Yeah, exactly. But since Florence is a mute, the dad who's tricked her there has a plan of how they can figure out where the sisterhood is because she knows she just can't tell them. She introduces a new character 
which I, I this is who he's going to ask you to try to explain, but apparently you're not even sure who he was. I thought assumed first it was the the cloak guy from Riverworld who kept stabbing people in the forehead to give images because he looked the same. I assumed it was a well, crossover. Well, he is dressed like a Jedi, basically. Right. And he looks a little bit like Quasimodo, but I put he's also mixed with Fagin because he likes stealing young boys. Yeah, they take off his hood and he's like got a very mutated kind of elephant man style face. Yeah. But he apparently has the ability to read minds. Because sure, why not? Yeah, it's a, it's sort of a, a new ability introduced in Harsh Realm. He holds his hand onto the onto Florence's face, reads her mind, and in exchange for the location of the sisterhood, he wants a price paid, and that price is the little boy. Which is obviously a little bit creepy, but but so did I miss it? Who is he? Is he just, he's just a guy? He is just a mind reader who people are aware of in Harsh Realm. Right. And his, and his, uh, uh, he just loves little boys. Well, he didn't ask the little boy to be fair. The bounty hunter just gave the little boy to him as payment. Right. Um, But he seemed very happy with that payment. (laughs) Right. Right. Fine. I'll take the boy. And now that this bounty hunter knows where the sister it is. He takes Florence and they go off to go kill or arrest the rest of the sisterhood. And that's kind of where our plots start to dovetail together again. Um, Because quickly after they leave, Hobbes catches up with them and kind of gets the drop on the bounty hunter. Yeah. But as soon as he gets the drop on the bounty hunter, Sergeant Escalante is also back and he gets the drop on Hobbes. Yeah. And I I was rooting for Escalante. Yeah. So Hobbes' rescue attempt lasts... Uh, conservatively about 15 seconds yeah it's it's probably more like five seconds he's the worst and now both florence and hobbs are kidnapped by this bounty hunter and escalante unrelated weren't you hoping that uh hobbs is gonna never get his leg back and that he'd have a robotic leg that's what i was hoping i was like how cool would it be he has a robotic leg from now on that would be pretty good but yeah Trust me, this show would not would not reward you with any sort of science fiction like that at all so yeah i mean this is actually where they catch up to Pinocchio's storyline because they get to the sisterhood's hideout and Pinocchio has been preparing for them to arrive. So he's like got cover and he starts like firing at the bounty hunter and they start shooting back. Yeah. And Pinocchio gets winged by a bullet. So he drops his gun and the bounty hunter and Escalante rush the sisterhood so they can like, I guess, kill Pinocchio before he gets his gun back. But one more thing that the sisterhood can do is revealed is they can sense where minds are and then move them to their own compound as protection. Yeah. That's, that's, so that, hey, as that's they something. rush in, the bounty hunter steps on a mine. It explodes and throws him high into the air. As mines do. And he digitizes to death. Sergeant Escalante is thrown aside and injured. And the day is sort of saved. And Florence chooses out of the goodness of his heart, or the goodness of her heart, to heal Escalante, at which point he kind of, you know, finally sees this higher power because he's been healed. And the somewhat manic pixie girl of the sisterhood uh, uses all of her power for no reason, um, which is really a waste if you think about all the other people she can heal. But she uses the remaining bit of her power, her life force, to give uh, Pinocchio back a leg, and then she dies. And he's all like, wow, I barely knew her. Yeah, that as his reward for saving them, she sacrifices her own life to grow him a new leg. Yeah, and and, and also, not only did I hope he was going to have a robotic leg, I was going to hope that he would still be ungrateful. And he looks down, he's like, my leg was much more muscular than this. Or like he'd complain in some way. <laughs> my toenails are long. Well, that doesn't happen. But what does happen is we uh, get to sort of 
cut back to Hobbes's narration where he's sort of talking about how he and everyone have sort of found God now. Like they all, there's yeah. this real sense in his narration that they're all reborn in this new knowledge of this higher power in Harsh Realm. Right. And they catch up to the mutant mind reader who's taken the boy, him, Hobbes, and um, what's his name? Escalante. Escalante. Sergeant Escalante catch up to this mind reader in order to rescue the boy so he doesn't go off to, I don't know, whatever weird slavery it was, was his destiny. I don't know. What What do you think he was going to do with that boy? Didn't that feel so tagged on, though? It was just like, oh, yeah, now we found this guy. I was like, what? He just, where are they? It just, it just felt like a, like someone at one point was like, hey, guys, uh, you just let that boy go with the guy? We got we to gotta shoot a scene where they get the boy back. No, you know what it is? I know why they shot the scene. It's why? because they introduced a big twist at the end. What was that twist? Uh, the twist is the mind reading mutant says, Florence thinks that you, Hobbes, are the savior, but she's wrong. Yeah, that's the, that's the best part of the episode. I, I can't believe I forgot that. Sorry. That's the best part of the episode that uh, Hobbes isn't the savior? Yeah, because my hope is that it's going to be someone else and I don't have to look at him again anymore. You, I have a theory. I know who the savior is. I have a big theory. Do you? It's Pinocchio. I think Pinocchio's the savior. Pinocchio has to learn from Hobbes' goodness to become the savior he's destined to be. Oh, I hope it's Sophie and uh, uh, this this is all for naught because she was killed in the first episode. Let me guarantee you one thing. No woman in this show is the savior. <laughs> the writers would never do that. Yeah, you're right. You're right. So the, what do we think? The, the writers of the show would never allow that to happen. Okay, well, I guess we're on to uh, episode 108 then. Yeah, you want me to know uh, episode 8 here? Yeah. Cincinnati. We have might. We have strength. Arrogance. What these men have is fearlessness and pride. And those are qualities you can't break, Major. You must erase them. Look this enemy in the eye with a pride and a fearlessness to match his own. Look right into the eyes of their greatest warriors and show him you are greater. You must strike and count your coup. Only then will you defeat him. Hobbes and Pinocchio attempt to stop Santiago as he attempts to kill an American Indian terrorist leader. And I'm going to say something, and I can't remember if I've mentioned this before in previous episodes, so if I have, I apologize. But there's something about this show, and it's, this, it's not only this show, but it's something that happens a lot that I find really cuts the drama as opposed to what they think it's, uh, I think it's escalating, which is the amount of guns. And this is not like a, a anti-gun sort of speech I'm going on, although, come on, people. But um, in Harsh Realm, every scene, it's always like, everyone ends up just like grabbing guns and shooting each other. And it just, it's the least interesting way in and out of situations. It reminded me of way back when, when Lost was on. The show was kind of interesting. And then at some point, there was like just a shipment of guns came onto the show. So every single conflict ended up with two people just pointing guns at each other. And I'm just like, guys, this is so boring. And that's, this show just resorts to it over and over and over. Am I wrong? Well, I mean, that's an interesting theory about it. I hadn't really thought about it, but um, I mean, you might not be wrong. Of all the tension you could build, of all the character building, it's like, oh, two, two characters point a gun at them. I was like, oh, just use something else. Have, you know, like something more interesting. At least do... Right. That's fair. You know, I mean, yeah, it's a bit of a cliche. Anyways, that that's my rant done. Sorry about that. I've debated how to open this explanation for this episode, but I think I'm going to, I'm going to mention very briefly, it starts on a cold open that really teases the end of the show. I think that's the first time they've done this, is it? Um, I think they've done cold opens kind of before, but not to this extreme where they show you where you're going. Yeah, they show you the end of the episode, then they're like, how did we get here? 
Yeah, and it's because the cold open shows Hobbs pulling a bag off the head of a prisoner he has, and they have Santiago. They've captured Santiago. Yeah. Um, which sort of sets you up for like, how did we get here? And I thought it was pretty good. I was like, cool. I, I, that's interesting. It certainly was a good lead in. I was just like, oh, we're going to see some real plot momentum here, I guess. And we really do. For all this episode's faults, and it has many, this is a very plot, like, where some shows spun their wheels, this has too much stuff to get through. In fact, it's so much stuff that it doesn't even give time for the interesting suspense to build because there's no time to wait. They just keep pushing the narrative forward. There's almost there's just too much narrative. I, I agree. This this almost feels like they were they had a book and someone said, "Well, can you take everything that happens in the book and just cut it down to ten minutes?" Because it just it just felt like it never stopped. Yeah, Chris Carter wrote this episode. And he clearly had too many ideas for one episode, and he fit them in. And I mean. I thought the last episode was narration heavy. This one has so much VO. Yeah, it's it's almost unstoppable. I wrote it. I think I wrote the note at least three or four times. Like, just stop with the narration. It it felt like, and I don't think this was the case, but it felt like they didn't shoot enough scenes, so they had to keep putting in voiceover to explain stuff. And maybe that is the case, but it's unrelenting. It's they just didn't have enough time in the episode to get into all of it like they needed the vo to explain people's motivations why they moved places because there wasn't time in the runtime yeah, like there's one to part shoot the scene there's literally one part where I, ca- I can't remember where they are but it's like a character walking he's like so what happened was i ended up grabbing the guy then i caught a cab and i went over here and then we talked about it. it's like you're telling me all this this is a visual medium why am i not seeing this but you're right there just wasn't enough time but it's unrelenting the uh it's the very exposition heavy for sure and and it's really funny because it's all of this has been set up as Hobbes' narration to his wife, but he's narrating scenes he has no access to, like that he would never know information about. You know, I never even thought about it. You're right. It's a very inelegant episode as a result. That's a good way of saying it. Yes, it is inelegant. But to be fair, so is Harshwam. Well, that's true. It's not much different from the rest of the series, I guess. Um, essentially, the episode kicks off properly with Santiago, and he's kind of taken over most of the eastern seaboard until he's gotten to Cincinnati. Which is a, a kind of a cool concept. Is for this first time we get the sense that he is pushing. He's slowly taking over America. Like he doesn't own the whole thing. Like yeah. he's actually on an offensive. And I kind of wished him like, oh, why didn't we get to learn more about like this slow offensive he's building? Like it feels like on the show he's already owns everything, but in re- apparently in the background it's all been like a slow build over the last like eight episodes of what he's slowly managed to like gain control of. What I thought was that only a portion was actually populated. I didn't think the rest of the world is, but they've sort of implied that the entire world is there and he's just slowly taking it over. Well, in this episode, they implied that recently the U.S. government has collapsed. That's why Santiago is able to do this, that he's been slowly expanding across states. Yeah. Like, it implies a much more interesting story in this episode than we've been given the opportunity to watch. And it's funny, it's, it's not that there hasn't been time to build this world but i think the show as a whole is still kind of figuring out what it finds interesting and is is it these sort of little small bits of the world where you kind of meet new characters and there's sort of a episode about you know like the doubling episode or or whatever happens or is it about the overall arc and it's sort of half it's sort of in between those two and and neither very satisfying I guess it's pre-sort of serialized television, so serialized elements end up taking a backseat to just the standalones. But it it hurt. It, it should have been far more serialized than it even is. I, I agree with you, but I actually find the individual episodes, the episodic episodes, actually more interesting. Oh, interesting. I 
I don't know if overall I agree with that. I think I would have enjoyed it more if it had at least settled into what its serialization was instead of like feeling unsure what those were and then doiling them out occasionally. Yeah, I don't know. Well, well, there is a definite sense of um, stutter, stutter and start with them all. Like you, you get a bit and they go, ah, 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 and okay, we're into something else. And then you never, nothing is ever resolved. Anyway, getting back to Cincinnati, his sort of westward expansion has been stopped because there's a, an armed First Nations resistance has kind of come in and overthrown his takeover of Cincinnati and they've taken over Cincinnati, um, which was, I thought was an interesting concept. I mean, we'll talk about this now. Anytime I refer to anyone as like indigenous or First Nations or anything like that in this episode, just know that Chris Carter called them an Indian. It's a little bit of product of his time. You have to remember this is nearly 20 years ago now. Well, I actually, I looked into it a bit and it's actually was still out of date at that time. But I think, I think what it is, I, I think maybe in the U.S. there's a little more, it's used still a little more interchangeably. It's not quite as, uh, in Canada, I think we're a little more sensitive to it and we try not to use it. I mean, I don't think that's a great excuse. Uh, I think Chris Carter sort of respects his characters who are indigenous in this episode, but he also kind of like a little bit fantasizes about them too. Luke, you trying to tell me that the Cincinnati Reds shouldn't have a native Indian as their mascot? Is that what you're trying to tell me? I think it's time, Jordan. Time for a change. Am I supposed to believe that someone's culture is not supposed to be a mascot and a logo? Come on. Fake news. Listener, I know it's hard to believe (laughs) that two guys talking about science fiction TV series on a podcast are the whitest guys you know. But they, <laughs> Jordan is a very, very white man, as he says. And you know what? I'm going to mention, obviously I'm joking. Courtney, on our previous episode, <laughs> really was concerned that things I say, uh, people are taking seriously. I'm clearly joking, right? Everyone knows I'm joking. Can right, tell and b- tell us if you think Jordan's joking. Hey, can't you tell from my voice? Anyway. <laughs> that monotone drone. <laughs> I, always th- I always think I'm very expressive, but apparently not. You're basically a robot, right? Yeah. Well, you know what this show could use? Me, then. Something. Yeah, a good robot. A good robot in the show. So, yeah, this First Nations resistance has taken over Cincinnati. San Diego's basically wants to, like, he respects them for doing it, but he needs to take Cincinnati back. And so at this point, we catch up, finally, with the heroes of the show. It's been, like, a long time since we've seen them, actually, in this episode. Can I interrupt for one moment? Um, at one point, they're at uh, the little um, his little war room or whatever he calls it, and he's talking, and they're discussing the uh, the offensive by the the natives. Waters is arguing with him, and at one part, uh, Waters goes, "We could take them with one quick stroke." And I was desperate, desperate for Santiago to make the joke, like, "I hear that's all it takes for you, one quick stroke." Am I right? But no one made the joke, and I was like, "Come on, guys! Wouldn't it be funny if Santiago was also zinging people, but they can't say anything back because he's so powerful?" Oh, I could use some punch-ups this show. A few, yeah. a few, a few jokes here and there. Anyway, Chris Carter, give me a call. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, um, but as I was saying, we catch up with Hobbs, Pinocchio, and Florence kind of for the first time this episode, and they're getting back together with Sergeant Escalante from the last episode. He's now like their inside man, and he tells them San Diego is basically planning to personally assassinate the First Nations leader to stop the uprising. That's his plan. Is he, he he wants to do it himself because he feels that will crush them the quickest. Yeah, it doesn't really make sense why he wants that, but they, re- they really push hard on that. Like, it's because he's a warrior and because blah, blah, blah. Yeah, it's because San Diego is such a, such a gamesman. It has to be personal. Yeah, it's got to be him. Um, you're right. It's not really a great reason, but it kind of sets off the episode um, because what we, what we come to find out is... This First Nation leader knows that people are going to be coming for him, so they need to, he he and his men are getting prepared for the oncoming inslot. And like 
he kind of has one main soldier they talk to all the time. I, I had to look. He's never named in the episode, so I had to look up his name on IMDb. And uh, Chris Carter gave him the name The Brave on IMDb. Oh, really? Yeah. But interestingly, though, the character is played by Michael Gray Eyes. Do you know this actor? I don't. I don't think I do. I, I was actually trying to wonder if I could recognize him, but I didn't. I don't think I do. Who is he? He's uh, he's an actor named Michael Gray Eyes, who's uh, actually a pretty uh, cool and getting much larger Canadian actor. He was uh, the co lead with Jessica Chastain in uh, Woman Walks Ahead that came out this year. Okay. And uh, he actually is in the next the next uh, season of True Detective. He's by far one of the more interesting characters in this episode, like way more interesting than the, than the main characters, which is another problem on this show. Usually the yeah. people who come in for one episode are more interesting than, than the characters we have to live with every day. Oh, man, like a great actor being wasted in a very small role. Yeah, exactly. So they're going to be prepared for when Santiago attacks. And since Hobbes, Pinocchio, and Florence know Santiago is going to attack and Escalante is telling them, where he's going to attack they actually get there first and set up an ambush on santiago inside of santiago's own ambush on the first nations leader i think this is the first time that hobbs and pinocchio and florence have actually tried to do anything against against santiago because the whole time they're always talking about how dangerous he is and blah 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 and it's their mission and hobbs like i can't go because i gotta do this but he never actually attempts to actually kill or capture santiago until now Episode eight. They're always finding reasons they need to find someone else to do it. This is like the first time they're making an attempt. Yeah, and it's not it's not a bad plan. I mean, it's it's a I don't know if it's the most well thought out plan because it, it's contingent on someone else's plan, but at least they're you know it's true. at least they're moving things into action. It's a very brute force plan. They essentially just plant a whole bunch of explosives where San Diego has to stand to take the to like get this armored convoy off the road and hoping that he stands on a landmine essentially. And as the raid happens, San Diego does almost step on the bomb, but unlucky for them, he catches the bomb on the, he looks down at the last second and sees it in the ground. So just before it explodes, he grabs one of his own soldiers and uses that soldier as a shield. Yeah, I thought that was a pretty good moment. Um, So yeah, so it was actually not a bad attempt on their part. Obviously fails because San Diego has to keep living, but uh, not too bad. I mean, the staging of it could have been much more like suspensefully set up, but they're just churning through so many, so much plot that it just kind of flies by in two seconds. Right. So at this point that Michael Gray is actually after the explosion in all the chaos, he ends up catching and arresting Hobbs, Pinocchio and Florence. So they're kind of taken out of the out of the out of the scheme. They don't know if San Diego has died, but they've basically been arrested. And coming up now is is I maybe you'll disagree with me, but I think the best part of the episode is coming up. Oh, 100 percent. The, the, the best part of the dare, episode. dare I say the quest or part of the episode. Good reference. This is a very good reference for this portion, because obviously we reveal San Diego hasn't died. He's dragged the soldier who is injured in the explosion back into the forest and he reaches into the, the uh, soldier's backpack and pulls out what we're told is a digi wand. Yeah, it kind of looks like just an electric shaver. But apparently they just have these digi wands which just heal people like Florence does. I know it, it it renders Florence's powers useless. Totally irrelevant. Like there's technology that can do the exact same thing apparently. We've never seen it up till now but they exist. It's like her power is she can sew. And then she walks into a sewing machine factory and she's like, oh, they have things that, that do this already? Oh, okay. But this Digiwand apparently has uh, other attributes. Like he takes it and he runs it over the soul. This was weird. He saves the soldier's life, first of all. 
I know you think you think San Diego's gonna do something nice, but no. No. He then like runs this like handheld shaver looking thing, the Digiwand, over the guy's mouth, and his mouth is erased. He just erases the guy's mouth, and then he starts erasing other parts of his face. Until he's just like they cut they pull away and his his whole face is like sealed up and like wh- how would like I guess you just put like he looks like a pu- he looks like a putty man. He just has no features at all. He's just a round ball of a face. Like he's a balloon. Yeah. He's a balloon. I mean, head. you're right. This is just Questor when he began. That's what he made. He did Questor in reverse. But why I mentioned Questor was because what you get then is he takes the uh the little elect what do you call it? The Digiwand. The Digiwand, and he starts rolling it over his head and gives himself some hilarious hair. And then I didn't realize it at first, but I guess later on the effect they're supposed to have is that he also kind of gave himself a slightly different face. No, he steals the man's face. Was that what it's supposed to be? But it didn't. It didn't really look like that. It just kind of looked like he was a little bit puffy. He has a puffy face because I think it's so weird. <sighs> Sorry, I'm gonna try to explain this the best I can. But I think the idea is this is kind of like a Mission Impossible face swap thing where they you put on a mask and you look exactly like the person you're supposed to be but instead of what you would normally do in this series is you just get the other actor to now step into the role like i've taken over this character now the other actor just pretends to be santiago in disguise yeah what they've done is they've just made terry o'quinn they've just put a bunch of like makeup on him and like prosthetics to make him look vaguely like the man he used to be, but he's quite clearly Terry O'Quinn just in like heavy makeup. Yeah, that's the thing. It's like, there's no way. And for the rest of the episode, you know, people were like, is this like, no one knows that Santiago It's like, it's clearly Santiago with a bad wig. Yeah, he, he just kind of has a wig and like they put some prosthetic cheekbones on him. And it's supposed to be like, he's he's stolen this man's face. But for whatever reason, we didn't want the other act. We wanted Terry O'Quinn in the episode. So don't let that other actor fill in as himself. Tara Quinn will just be like him in disguise, like in a face mask. And they gave the makeup person uh, about 10 minutes. <laughs> yeah, it's a weird choice because this is like a trope, like face swapping. But usually you don't like it, I mean, in some ways I like that. I'm like, oh, it's not a perfect face swap. He's just putting someone else's face over his. So it doesn't quite mesh. But like, it, it was very weird. It's a weird thing. And here's another thing, though. And, and we don't need to get into the, the dregs with this. but. When you switch bodies, let's say you switch faces, because this happens now a couple times in the episode as, as we go, but the people's voice change too. Your voice wouldn't change because they make it clear at one point it's just the face you're changing because there's a bit of a reveal later where you see someone's chest. So it's the original body. Yeah, it's the original body. And San Diego's voice doesn't change. He doesn't take on that soldier's voice. Isn't there a thing later where someone... Well, we have to get into that later. Okay. Th- but like right now, San Diego's just put on his face. He's still kind of looks like san diego yeah it's a bit puffy but like it just looks like he's sort of layered someone's face over his original face yeah and he's the same voice so yeah like that's the technology it's like basically a close approximation of someone else's face okay we'll have to get into this later as we get through the episode and you know why well i mean i'm only stopping you because that's basically the whole episode is that reveal right okay (laughs) sorry i'm ruining your day no 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 i'm just you know it's just, I, I get nitpicky about these things when you take a lot of time to show something and then immediately just like, oh, all those rules I set, eh, whatever. Well, that's what it is. They've just established the rules for this. So when we come back to it, it's going to be crazy because they break all of these rules. Right. Okay. Now that Santiago is effectively a different person, he he goes into Cincinnati and he finds some like guy on the street and he trades his clothes with him and gives the guy his dog tags. And then immediately turns around and kind of tells like the First Nation soldiers, oh, there's a guy with a gun over here, gets the guy killed, and they like think they've killed Santiago because they find his dog tags on the corpse. 
Like, that's the plan. That's his ploy, anyway, is he makes it seem like he has been killed. Right. And it works. They have the dog tags, and and everyone thinks he's been killed. Yeah, everyone now thinks Santiago's dead. They actually, like, they're so happy that they've essentially killed Santiago, is they bring Santiago in disguise back to meet the First Nations leader so that he can thank him personally for helping kill the enemy. And the First Nations leader even, like, offers him a job as a janitor at their headquarters, like, so Santiago can get in. Which is ludicrous, by the way. It's ludicrous that, that they're just like, you have a uh, room and board. And he's like, I can work. And they're like, all right, how about be a janitor? I'm like, why would you ever do this? It's just, it's like the reason they do it because he needs Santiago to still be around and stuff. But like, does. it doesn't make any sense. Well, it doesn't even really make sense. Like Santiago definitely pointed the soldiers at this guy to kill him, but he didn't have anything to do with it. Like the soldiers are the heroes. Like the guy who pointed over there and said, I think there's a bad guy. Like th- that's not the guy you bring back to meet the leader. And uh, they, they keep sort of implying or they don't keep they, a few times it comes up that if Santiago's dead how come the game hasn't changed because even Hobbs at one point says like we killed him yeah. we killed him we won the game which I know is your point is like that's not how video games work but I mean we can get into that but that's Hobbs like that's actually comes up in this next scene here is after Santiago kind of gets a job as a janitor at this place we catch up with Hobbs and Pinocchio and Florence and actually Escalante is with them now and basically they're being strung up to be hung as, like, um, bad guys. They, they don't know they're not soldiers. They're like, let's hang these guys and get it over with. They're like, just in case. It's basically like, we don't know if you're with San Diego or you're not, but we're just going to hang you either way is basically what yeah. it is. And the entire time they're about to hang these people, Hobbs isn't, he's not worried about them being hung. He literally spends his whole time talking about, like, well, if San Diego's dead, why is the game still running? And just, like, nothing you've seen so far would tell you the game would just stop when you kill it. Like, he just still doesn't. Like, it doesn't make any sense what his argument is. In classic Hobbes fashion, he's just the most confused person in the room at all times. And he's just always like, why? What does that happen? Like, he's just like, you know. Like, in his mind, they kill Santiago and then the game just shuts down. Nothing in this game has indicated that would ever, like, it's still a running simulation. Like, I could just see having lunch with him, and every time he takes a bite, he's like, where'd the food go? And you're like, well, you're, you've eaten it. It's in your stomach. It's digesting. But where's the sandwich? That's, that's what he's like, having around. It, I was extremely frustrated by that. Like, that's exactly what it was like hearing him talk. Yeah, he's annoying. As they're about to get hung, Florence actually, like, rescues them. And what is probably the most heroic thing that's ever happened on this show is they're about to get hung, and she chokes a dude out with her legs. As she's hanging from the noose and, like, escapes her noose, like, she is a badass. She's everything these other characters should be. Yeah, she's the coolest character. They don't know what to do with her. And it's just, yeah, you're right. It was a cool scene, actually. It was it was really well done. She she attacks the one guy. She gets herself in the noose, saves everyone. And it's just like, well, another day for Florence. No credit. She's the only capable person. And it was a cool scene. I was like, this is awesome. Why doesn't? Why is there not more Florence in this show? And so we move on to, uh, I think, just more as Santiago as a janitor. I was kind of hoping he was going to stay undercover for years, like really play the long game. But, uh, but this episode is too much happening. Well, it's very funny because after they escape from getting hung, the first thing they do is like our heroes, like Hobbs and Pinocchio and Florence with their new friend Escalante, they just invade the First Nations headquarters. Like, I don't know why. And it wasn't clear, again, because this episode has some timing issues. They decide that they're going to steal the leader of the natives so that 
they can trade him for Santiago. Is that the plan? That's the plan. I guess like it's not clear why. Like because the game hasn't shut down, I guess Hobbs assumes that this indigenous uprising has captured Santiago, so he's not really dead. So if they kidnap their leader, then they can trade their leader for Santiago, and then they can finally kill Santiago. It's it's not like it's another problem with this episode. Is like they don't spend any time explain to us how the characters get to this conclusion. They just kind of like run because they have so much plot to get through. And it's just like, they're just there and it happens. So they kind of break in. They steal the First Nations leader. While they're doing that, though, Janitor Santiago catches a glimpse of uh, Sergeant Escalante in a hallway and he realizes, oh, hey, my soldiers betrayed me. So he just murders him in the hallway. Um, also, I just like that you said uh, Janitor Santiago. How wouldn't that be a funny show? You have all this back history of all this thing. It's harsh realm. You have to get through all this, but it's just because it's just him, him uh, as a dictator. But he's stuck living his life as a janitor. That's a funny show. That would have just been season two, him yeah. as a janitor. <laughs> well, no Hobbs. I'd be fine with it. I, I'm gonna stop us here, um, real quick, just to go back because I think we kind of dropped this thread last last podcast. But last episode, it's not in Hobbs this time who killed the VC character, but that sister did sacrifice herself for pinocchio right so that would put us at six out of seven episodes of a sidekick has died oh that's right the only one one hasn't died in is the one with the doppelgangers in the lake nobody died in that one didn't no the family all gets away alive you're right yeah so well he he has a pretty bad record is what we're saying yeah but in this episode for the first time i guess a character who is not a vc they kill this soldier Oh, yeah, because he's not as VC, is he? Yeah, they actually get a real person killed this time. This is their first real person sidekick they've killed. But that actually puts it as that's seven out of eight episodes where the sidekick is killed. Well, and again, it, and you know what? Maybe that answers the questions why uh, they don't give Florence more scenes because she'd just be dead if she had those scenes, you know? So it's like, oh, we'll she just knows bring if a new she character. spoke, she would die. Yeah, she actually can speak. She's just like, I'm just going to keep to myself, do my own She's thing. She's like, I've seen what happens here. Yeah. But this basically sets us up to start moving toward the like cold open we saw because after all this chaos at the headquarters michael gray eyes sort of returns to the episode and he he busts into uh, the headquarters trying to find out what's happened what are the commotions about and w- as he comes into the room he sees santiago has been injured in sort of the attack to kidnap the leader and he goes to help santiago because he thinks it's like he's he's on their side and as he's looking at his wound he notices that santiago has one of the chips in his chest Hence, he's from uh, San Diego's land, so he knows he's a soldier of Sa- in San Diego's army. Quick question about that, though. Why did San Diego chip himself? I thought the exact same thing. It's a weird reveal for it's like, why would he ever need to do that? They, they just basically needed to clue this guy in that this guy isn't who he said he was. But the, the dictator would never chip himself. What he should have done is he should have taken off his pants and been like, that penis looks familiar. That, that's what he should have done. Everyone knows what Santiago, he has it all over the place. Everyone knows what his penis looks like. He just sends a lot of dick pics everywhere. Everywhere. He can't stop. Well, he's the dictator. He can do whatever he wants. He's the dictator. You know what's funny? I didn't even think of that pun, so well done. I I beat you to your own pun. (laughs) Yeah, it's great. It's great. I regret everything. (laughs) Um, So now that it's kind of been revealed that this guy is not on their side, like it's really weird. Santiago pulls a knife on Michael Gray eyes and he's just like, here's what we're going to do. You're going to trade me for your leader back. Yeah, he's, he's like, I know you just thought I looked exactly like Santiago with slightly puffier cheeks, but guess what? I am Santiago with slightly puffier cheeks. 
and I want you to trade me for your leader. Like it, yeah. it's a very weird. It doesn't make a lot of sense. The scene. And now let me ask you, what was Santiago's actual plan? Because he sort of said from the beginning, I have a plan. I want to be the one who's going to kill the leader myself. And he kind of goes through that. But there's no way this was his plan to accidentally have someone get blown up by a landmine, then steal his face, then go become a jet. Like, that was not his plan. So he's kind of playing it by ear. But they sort of make it seem like, like he's fine with that the whole time. Yeah, I mean, his plan was fairly flexible. His only plan was, I'm going to personally kill this man. So the first time he was going to get him in the ambush, when that didn't work, he became a janitor and he was going to kill him as a janitor. Right. Oh, yeah. There's a scene, right? Yeah, because he, he gets really close to him at some point when he's a janitor with a knife, but it just doesn't work out. And now that he's been kidnapped by Hobbs, Santiago now has to change his plan because he still has to kill this guy. That's like Santiago is very focused. Anyway, so what ha- what's the next scene? Well, this is basically where we start off now is... We cut to Hobbs showing up and he's like, hey, I will trade you Santiago for your leader because I know you have Santiago, which there's no way he knew that, but that's fine. It's the only way that gets us where we're going. God told him. We now see Santiago in this this hood over his head. They drive out and make the exchange, exchanging baghead Santiago for the aboriginal leader. As they're about to kill Santiago, they pull the gag out of his mouth and Santiago suddenly shouts, I'm not Santiago, you've been tricked. Which we all saw. Yeah, it's not a big surprise. Like, this, obviously they weren't going to kill Santiago. But like, what was a surprise? Is this what you were talking about earlier? They break their own rules yeah. about how face swapping works at this point. Yeah, because wouldn't a Santiago had to have taken his own face and put it on the guy? Yeah, this guy should look like who he was with a slight Santiago face. But what it is, it's Terry O'Quinn now mission impossible style like that's how good the mask is and he's got his own voice what we've seen up till now is the face isn't that good and you keep your own voice well here's the thing but you know it's just it's but i'd even be fine with it but if the technology is you take a face from someone and put it onto someone else the face he should have taken then was the guy to put on to put uh on the new guy would have been the soldier's dead face because his face is gone now right do you know what I mean? There's right. there, there is no Santiago face because he's erased his and that's it. Yeah, it's weird. I guess his face is under the face. I don't know. It's weird to introduce a technology and then literally break its own rules within a couple minutes. Yeah, they, well, they change its rules within the episode in order to make their turn work. And yeah. so basically what's happened is Santiago has stolen Michael Gray's face. He's gotten the leader back. They drive off and Santiago like shoots him in the head on the drive back. Hence, like, killing him and basically crushing the uprising. And, like, that's kind of the end. Santiago won, basically. Yeah. And I think at the end, we kind of get a quick shot of Santiago rubbing the Digimon on his face again. And somehow he's gotten his face back. And I like also that um, he's sitting. <laughs> it is such a silly thing. But uh, it's the reveal that he's, he's going to be back. And you, and you see the back of uh, Terry Quinn's, uh, the back of him. And uh, you can see that he looks like he's shaving. So he's clearly doing stuff. But what I like is that that's what he waited to do last. He got dressed. He got into the office, he sat down, he did some paperwork. Then he's like, oh, right, I guess I should put my face on. Like, you think that'd be oh, the I've first the thing. I've the wrong you'd... face right now. Yeah, like, you think that'd be the first thing you do is put your face back on. I mean, he didn't see a mirror for a while. He, did, he forgot he changed faces. Um, but yeah, that, that wraps up these two episodes. I mean, any, any thoughts on these two episodes? I mean, uh, like, episode seven was very, like, they really dug into the sort of the mythology of the show and really correlated it with some very religious heavy overtones, which hadn't been too obvious so far. Like, it really changes what this show feels like now. Well, what do you think of that first episode? What would you give that one? 
I mean, it wasn't a bad episode. I mean, I think it's like a, a six for me. You know what? I, I'm going to give it the exact same six, uh, if only because I think there was some potential in this episode that they didn't quite achieve. Overall, it wasn't a bad episode. There's no question. It was super heavy-handed throughout, and it was a little bit annoying, just if, if only because it seemed inconsistent with the rest of the series. But I didn't think it was a bad episode. At least it was paced pretty well. It wasn't a bad episode of TV, for sure. Or definitely not a bad episode of Harsh Realm. I'd agree with that. Um, and then, like, episode eight, I didn't hate it. Like, I actually think the core plot was probably a good one that probably should have been broken into, like, it was just too much. It should have been broken into two episodes and given it some room to breathe and, like, let some plans come together and, like, the plans fall apart and they have to build new plans and, like, it's con- it, the, sh- the stakes are constantly shifting and adjusting. I think it could have worked. It just didn't because it kind of was jammed together too quickly without any a little too haphazardly yeah i I mean i'm gonna give that one i think that one is a 7.5 oh i'm going down a five i found it really frustrating and oh really and i I don't disagree with anything you're saying but i think it annoyed me more than annoyed you i just was it just felt like everyone was making up things as they went along and basically it was like he had the real turn that was all they had and it's like well here's a bunch of wasted time till we get there i guess i'm reading between the lines like I think there was a full and interesting couple episodes there that just like they didn't want it to be the finale. So they kind of just jammed it into one episode. I don't know. It it didn't work, but I, I thought at least it was it was the best version of the show I've seen so far. I was kind of hoping that Santiago would die and there would be some changes and ramifications of those changes and that we would have the re- resolve in episode nine. But I think I'm asking too much for a show that didn't know they were going to get canceled. And I have, I have a feeling that we haven't watched it that the next episode is going to end on some sort of cliffhanger or at worst is going to end is just gonna be like a normal standalone episode where we don't learn anything. But I, my, my hope was that this was kind of setting up for the end, but I don't think we're going to get that. I agree. I hope it's a cliffhanger. That would be great. I'm all on board with that, but I, I'm excited to see how it all ends next week. It's going to be fun to watch the final episode. Well, on that note, I think we're done with seven and eight. Yeah, I guess that's it for this for this episode of Continuum Drag. Um, if there's anything you want to tell us about uh, Harsh Realm or anything else we've watched, you can get a hold of us at continuumdrag at gmail.com, or you can follow us on Instagram and Twitter at uh, Continuum Drag. Jordan has been putting up some great, uh, great little animated gifts, so uh, I think there's a couple good ones in this episode. We'll see how it goes. But I guess I guess until next time, Jordan. We'll see you then. Continuum Drag is recorded at Astrolab Studios in Toronto, Ontario. Theme music by James Ruxiedler. Produced by Jordan Delick and Luke Black. Special thanks to Adam Wheatner, Jeff Hanley, Emily Carter, and Dwayne Wright.